John. This week's episode is going to be extremely explicit. It is not safe for work. It is not safe to be heard around little kids. I know that I'm usually always marked as as explicit, but this episode in particular is going to be really bad, okay? Also, I want to apologize. I'm beginning to lose my voice a bit, so this might sound a little rough. I appreciate your uh, putting up with it. John had enjoyed seeing all of his war buddies. Fred getting married was just the excuse the platoon needed to have a long weekend reunion. The bachelor party was the high point of the weekend. The reception was a bit of a bust. Bitch that Fred was marrying. She didn't seem to appreciate the good time that John and his buddies had shown Fred the night before. She acted like that was the first time Fred had ever been around prostitutes. Hell! Fred lost his virginity to some Saigon whore who gave him the clap as a memento. Besides, Fred didn't do anything but sit in a corner and drink himself into oblivion. The rest of the gang were the ones who took advantage of the women's service. John's retort to the bride to lighten up, you only get married once, or at least in Fred's case, third time's the charm, seemed to just make her matter. The 13-hour drive back was not something John was looking forward to at all. So when he saw the young woman on the side of the road, he eased his Cadillac next to her and pushed the button to lower the passenger window. Where are you heading to, honey? he asked. East was all she said. I'm going home to San Antonio. You're welcome to ride along. The young woman looked back at the empty road stretching back to the west. She looked up at the sun, already climbing high into the sky, creating shimmering mirages in the desert all around her. She got into the car and she buckled her seat. Creedence Clearwater Revival, There's a Bad Moon Rising, was playing on the sound system. John eased back onto the highway and set the cruise to 85. Wasn't looking forward to making this drive by myself. It's great to have some company, John beamed at the young woman. Tried to get one of my kids to come, but they're too busy to return an old man's phone calls. No respect from kids today. Trip up wasn't so bad. Then I had something to look forward to. Nothing waiting for me at home except an empty house and a pile of bills. Well worth the drive, though. Got to see a bunch of the old gang. These guys are closer to me than family. When you go through the hell of Nam together, you come out changed. No one understands except those who've been through the same hell. Most of them bailed on the service as soon as they were eligible. I would have too, but with two kids and a wife's support, I didn't seem to be able to make it in civilian life. So me, I was a lifer. Thirty years I put in. Rare for a draftee to stay in. I guess I found my place, serving my country. Wrecks havoc with the home life, though. Being stationed all over the place, keep moving. On top of that, being assigned to remote stations where family can't come. My wife up and divorces me, takes the kids, and good old Uncle Sam sends her part of my paycheck every two weeks. What a world we live in, huh? Now I hear that men are getting alimony, too. Add that with gays in the service. I'm just thankful I got out when I did. 
Fogarty finished declaring that the night time is the right time, and the CD player clanked as it switched disc and started playing Jimi Hendrix's album, Are You Experienced? John started singing Purple Haze with Hendrix loudly and enthusiastically, even if slightly flat and a millisecond off beat. The Cadillac ate up the road and rock and roll filled the air. John didn't believe in long stops. They ate their meals purchased from vending machines and gas stations en route. Why extend an already long trip with a lot of dilly-dallying around was, was his thought. The young woman spent much of her time reading. You're like my youngest daughter, John commented. She always had her nose in a book, had to threaten her with a whipping to get her to put the damn thing down and spend time with the family. She would even try to sneak a book to the dinner table. I always thought dinner time was important family time. Not that she really added anything meaningful to the conversation. Strange girl, that one. She has done real good for herself, gotten herself an education, and now works at a big university. Makes a dad proud to see his kids do well. The oldest, she got married right out of high school. She was much more interested in boys than she ever was in school, and she has two little girls of her own now. I need to make some time to see those granddaughters of mine. Keep threatening to show up on her doorstep and surprise them. It's hard to make time, though. Seems like there's always something coming up. Trivial stuff. But an old man like me, he gets used to his routines, and it's sometimes hard to change. I do make sure I send them cards and presents or money every birthday, Christmas, and Easter. Never get a thank you back. Guess that's the way it is these days. These kids aren't taught proper manners and how to be polite. I blame my ex-wife. She's never one to discipline the girls. Let them run wild and talk back. Ooh. When I tried to establish some semblance of order, she turned on me, accusing me of being abusive. You have to set limits or else how are kids going to understand proper behavior and responsibility? It never hurts a kid to have to clean up their room and make their bed. Every child needs to have chores, and there has to be consequences for them not doing what they're told. I'm sure she poisoned them against me after she left. I should have tried harder to get custody. I see that now. Back then, the mother always was given custody. Me, with the job and the move-in, wasn't seen as a good, stable situation for children. But I should have fought harder for him. At least I can have some influence on the next generation, though. My neighbor, she works late two, three nights a week. So I take care of her little girls for her. She always leaves dinner. I just heat it up for the girls and make sure they get their homework done. Some nights I get them ready for bed and tuck them in with a bedtime story. She wanted to pay me, but I told her I wouldn't take her money. She needs it to pay the bills and take care of those kids. It's enough that I get a good home-cooked meals on those nights. And besides, they're such sweet little girls. I did have to establish some rules and discipline, but the girls, they understand it's for their own good. Besides, it's not like I have anything else to do. Old man like me doesn't have much of a social calendar, you know. I go down to the vet center to play some cards or pool with the guys, 
maybe go over to a friend's house on Sunday for beers and to watch the Cowboys play. Shoot, doctors and physical therapist appointments are the only thing written in my calendar these days. John sighed. He fell quiet. Mama Cass declared, you gotta make your own kind of music, and the young woman returned to reading her book. It was late when they pulled into the deserted rest stop just a couple of hours north of San Antonio. I need to stretch my legs and see a man about a dog, John told her as he got out of the car. After both had used the facilities, the young woman buckled herself into the car as John started the engine. John looked over at her. You're awful pretty. I bet you got a special boy waiting for you back east, don't you? The young woman shook her head no. It's dangerous doing what you're doing, you know. Who knows what could happen to a pretty girl? He looked at her and continued. But I guess you know that. Is it the danger that gets you going? Instead of getting back onto the highway, John maneuvered the car so it couldn't be seen from the road. He pulled to a stop in a densely shadowed area away from the lights of the building. The young woman reached for the door locks on the armrest, but they did not respond to her pressing. She tried to lower the windows, but that wasn't working either. John had unbuckled his seatbelt and was reaching for her. She slapped his hand away. He backhanded her across the face. You fucking cunt. You're as bad as those bitch daughters of mine. Running around in t-shirts and shorts, sitting on my lap, hugging me, rubbing me with their budding breast against me. Those fucking sluts. They were running around screwing all the boys in town, and they thought they didn't have to take care of their own daddy. I taught them, and they enjoyed it. They couldn't fool me with their cries and their whimpers. They had to learn what a real man needed, and I was going to do my duty to train them right. Then that fucking bitch whore of a wife walks in on me and the youngest, screaming, what are you doing to my baby? Fucking baby nothing. She's 12 fucking years old, way past time for her to learn. I've been teaching her sister since before she was 10. That whore wife grabs the kids and runs out of the house screaming and disappearing. I got a letter from some asshole of a lawyer telling me if I contest the divorce or try to get custody, then they were going to tell the fucking MPs about what I had done. Like they would have believed a word that whore had said, but it wasn't worth the hassle. I let her think she was safe, and I didn't know where she was, but I have friends. They let me know. As soon as the brats left their mother's house, I started sending them cards, letting them know I hadn't forgotten them. Birthday cards, Christmas cards, graduation cards. I kept track of my girls. I'm planning on visiting that youngest real soon, and she's going to be happy to see her daddy. John ripped open the young woman's shirt, exposing her white cotton bra. He grabbed her breast with his left hand and squeezed roughly. When he pressed his erect penis against her thigh, it throbbed with desire, and John moaned. John forced her face up and looked hard into her eyes. Her eyes were vacant. Good, John thought. Go some fucking where else while I get down to business. 
As he fumbled to unfasten his pants, the woman's body stiffened and her eyes snapped back into focus. She quietly uttered a single word, no. John was startled by his suddenly flaccid penis. He was impotent, unable to move. She pushed him off of her and reached around to unlock the door. She scrambled out of the car, clutching her shirt closed with one hand and sliding her knapsack over her shoulder with the other. She sprinted towards the thicket of densely packed mesquite trees that were twisted, gnarled, and heavily thorned. Once she reached the edge of the tree, she stopped. Head held high, eyes shining with anger, she looked at John, who was sitting motionless in the car, mouth slack, and she declared into the night, always alone. No one shall talk to you except out of obligation. No one shall touch you except out of duty. You shall be unseen, unheard, and unwanted wherever you go. Looking at John, she said, old man, you shall never harm another. Stepping back into the trees, they opened and embraced her, holding and shielding her from all. In an instant, she was gone from sight. A slight breeze ruffled the uppermost leaves of the tree, and the rest of the night was silent.